Amen. Nehemiah chapter 1. We'll say one more word of prayer, and then we'll get started. Father, we love you. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your grace. Most of all, we thank you for Jesus. And Father, I pray that as we go to this Old Testament story, that Father, we would see Jesus in it. And that Father, we would grow closer to you. Father, your word, it's alive. It's quick. It's powerful. It's just what we need for today. And Father, I pray that you would work through your word. Help me to not say the things that you would not have me to say. Help me to say the things that you want me to say. And Father, work through my words. In Jesus' name, amen. Oh, man. Poor buddy. Man, I tell you what. Mama's pinching babies. No, I'm kidding. I'm just kidding. But we're glad that we've got some, some kids' classes going today. So it's the start. We'll have nursery soon. Uh, but we're continuing to progress. So phase three started today. Uh, no registration. Masks are optional. And so just looking at the data and, you know, just talking, counseling with some of uh, the folks that I talk with, um, you, you know, obviously if you're elderly or immune compromised, we have an early service that we began, 9 a.m. So we had a, a good crowd of folks this morning that just came and we had a wonderful time. And uh, it's, it's, there's a lot more space and, uh, for, to be able to spread out and make sure less people, uh, which means less germs, that's how it is. And uh, so we, we always wanna encourage and open that up if you feel like you need that, or if you're watching and you're gonna make a decision to come maybe for the first time in weeks, I encourage you, come to the 9 a.m. and uh, you'll have a little bit more space, fewer people, and um, it's a little bit safer as it pertains to the virus. So, but today, phase three, no registration uh, or temperature checks, and we're just moving to um, really those that feel the need, those that are immune compromised or elderly, those that have proven to be affected more, uh, please wear your mask, come early, do what makes you feel comfortable and uh, that the Lord has led you to do. And, and we're definitely taking it seriously, uh, but we're also not living in fear. Uh, we want to we walk that balance of being able to continue to move forward in life and not be crippled by. We know that viruses will come and go, things will happen. Uh, and, and we can't uh, be crippled by fear. We have to live and breathe in this life. And uh, there will be challenges. There will be things that we face next year that, I mean, I'm pretty sure we faced everything in 2020. So I don't know that there'll be anything left to face next year because we faced it all this year. Just kidding. Uh, but it, it will, life will continue to throw challenges until Jesus comes back. Um, but we're going to continue to move forward safely and um, God has been good to us thus far, and we thank him for that. Nehemiah chapter 1. Nehemiah chapter 1. I'm not going to do a, a ton of review today where I normally fall in that trap. Uh, I preach half the message, and then I go to preach the next half, and I end up re-preaching the first half again, and then running out of time to preach the latter part, and I do that often, and I'm not going to do it today. Uh, I'm going to give a little bit of background uh, about the book of Nehemiah specifically before we jump in, but if you feel like you're getting half a message today, it's because you are. Uh, you're literally getting half of it, so go back and listen to last week's. How many of you heard last week's in person or you listened to it online? Good, so most of you are up to speed. Uh, so we'll jump in here. Uh, let's go to Nehemiah chapter one and verse one, and let's, let's read the whole chapter, uh, and then we'll, we'll kind of give a little background and go from there. Nehemiah chapter one, verse one. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakealiah, whatever, no, just kidding. How would you like to have a name like that? Cody, can you pronounce it for me? 
Hakayar, hey, hiya, hiya. No. Anyway, <laughs> how would you like one of them? I think, babe, let's have another one. And name it Hakayar. What do you think? No. I got a hard pass back there on that look. Okay, that's the son of that guy. And it came to pass in the month of Chislu in the 20th year, as I was in Shushan the palace, the, uh, that Hanani, one of the brethren, came, he and certain men of Judah, and I asked them concerning the Jews. Nehemiah asked them, saying, what, what's going on concerning the Jews? That had escaped, which were left of the captivity and concerning Jerusalem. And they said unto me, the remnant that are left of the captivity there in the province are in great affliction and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem also is broken down, and the gates thereof are burned with fire. Verse 4. And it came to pass when I heard these words that I sat down and wept and mourned certain days and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven and said, I beseech thee, O Lord God of heaven, the great and terrible God that keepeth covenant and mercy for them that love him and observe his commandments. Let thine ear now be attentive and thine eyes be open that thou mayest hear the prayer of thy servant, which I pray before thee now. Day and night for the children of Israel, thy servants, and confess the sins of the children of Israel, which we have sinned against thee. Both I and my father's house have sinned. We have dealt very corruptly against thee and have not kept the commandments, nor the statutes, nor the judgments which, which thou hast commanded thy servant Moses. Remember, I, I beseech thee uh, the word that thou commandest thy servant Moses, saying, if ye transgress... I will scatter you abroad among the nations. But if ye turn unto me and keep my commandments and do them, though, there were, uh, though they were of you cast out unto the uttermost part of heaven, yet will I gather them from thence and will bring them unto the place that I have chosen to set uh, my name there. Now these are thy servants and thy people whom thou hast redeemed by thy great power and by thy strong hand. O Lord, I beseech thee, let now thine ear be attentive to the prayer of thy servant, and to the prayer of thy servants who desire to fear thy name, and prosper, I pray thee, thy servant this day, and grant him mercy in the sight of this man, for I was the king's cupbearer. So just to give a little background, we, we learned last week that Ezra and Nehemiah in antiquity were one book, uh, and as the Bible was formed, for uh, the church through the years, we find that it was separated into two different books, uh, distinct really for Ezra the scribe and Nehemiah, the book that we're going to be studying. But it's widely accepted that Nehemiah was written by Ezra the scribe as it was one book, one work, and then split years later. Uh, we're focused on Nehemiah, and that will be the story that we're focusing on. Uh, but really, this is about uh, three different people, Zerubbabel, uh, would be the governor that originally came back charged uh, with the command to rebuild Jerusalem from Cyrus, king of Persia. And then uh, the scribe Ezra would be here, uh, you know, when you think scribe, just that, copying the word of God, knowing the law of God, reading it, instructing the people of God in the law. Uh, and then you have Nehemiah, this third character in the story, uh, who was the king's cupbearer, uh, in Artaxerxes, the king's cupbearer, and he would uh, go back to Jerusalem and rebuild the wall, focusing on the wall and repairing that around Jerusalem. Uh, so when we 
uh, pick up the story here in this portion that we're focused on. Uh, we talked about Nehemiah uh, last week and kind of a little bit about him and his background. And what we've learned is that he was the cupbearer for this king. And when you think about the cupbearer, um, you know, that's, it's an interesting concept, kind of a Game of Thrones mentality of, of you know, the king has uh, a right-hand man, if you will, that is literally in charge of pouring his wine, uh, that is in charge of, if you will, his food, his drink, making sure that no one could, what, poison him. Uh, so if you think about that position of cupbearer, um, is there anyone uh, that the king uh, would probably care for more than that guy? Watching what, what was done with his food and, and with his drink, like, I mean, of course he was going to build a great relationship with him. Uh, he wanted to make sure he was paid extremely well so that no one that had another agenda to overthrow a king could come along and convince a cupbearer to take their money uh, to poison the king, right? So the king, uh, the, he took care of him. Uh, he put him in, uh, in an incredible position um, in the kingdom. And once again, we find that they were some of the most highly compensated uh, servants of the king. They had the houses. They had the luxury. They had the lifestyle. And uh, in, in, in a way that I think it's common sense, um, so that he couldn't be bought off. So we, we consider that, as Nehemiah says, I was the cupbearer for the king of, of the Persian Empire. So consider that. We have uh, Israel in the days of Solomon, King Solomon's sons, Rehoboam and Jeroboam, the kingdom uh, or the nation of Israel was divided into a northern and southern kingdom. And you find that the northern kingdom went into captivity to the Assyrian Empire, and then several hundred years later we find that the southern kingdom, Judah and, and the tribe of Benjamin, uh, would go into captivity to the Babylonian Empire. So under the captivity of the Babylonian Empire uh, were these, uh, you know, incredible young men. We think about the stories in the Old Testament of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, uh, King Nebuchadnezzar, utilizing the cream of the crop, if you will, these uh, Jewish uh, men uh, that were from this nation that were skilled, that had talents, abilities, they were organizers, they were developers, uh, and so you find that these nations, when they came in and took uh, Israel captive, they were pulling from that nation the best of the best to contribute to their nation, right? So you see some of these Israelites rise to prominence in these other kingdoms, if you will. They went into captivity based on uh, their disobedience. We find that they over and over, the children of Israel, uh, and we know that the law, the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, according to Galatians, is the schoolmaster, or it leads us to Christ. What does that mean? It means that God chose a people. He said, here is some rules, some laws, here's ten commandments, and then some, that are, that are going to govern your people. And then what happens? They proved over and over again that they couldn't keep the commandments. They proved over and over again that if there were rules, uh, there were rules to be broken. And, and they constantly murmured, constantly complained. And based on their disobedience, we see that God constantly had to spank them. God constantly had to bring them uh, wandering in the wilderness and then eventually into captivity. Uh, so we find that God is a just God. God is a God that keeps the law and that demands justice. Uh, and so when, when his people broke the law, there was sowing and reaping involved. 
And, and they uh, had to pay that price. So these captivities, these times when God's people were taken and enslaved were because of their doing, because of their sin, uh, because of their disobedience. And so uh, we see here that Nehemiah was taking personal responsibility, and we'll get into that a little bit more. But uh, all that being said, God is still a, uh, a fair, just, covenant-keeping God. So if he makes a promise with Israel, he's going to keep it. Even though they continually broke the covenant, they continually disobeyed, it is an incredible story of how God continues to be gracious. God continues to lead them back to himself, uh, even though they had willful disobedience. So we find that the kingdom was divided. Uh, we find that the northern kingdom, I believe the Assyrian Empire, southern kingdom to the Babylonian Empire, and then eventually we find that the Persian Empire overtakes the Babylonian Empire, and that king is King Cyrus. And the Bible says that the Holy Spirit moves on King Cyrus's heart and impresses upon him to let the children of Israel go back to Jerusalem. So we have hundreds of years that, that pass between uh, this time and then now about 150 years worth of kings from Cyrus to King Artaxerxes. So in the beginning, King Cyrus allows them to start going back and rebuilding Jerusalem. But about 150 years, uh, we find Zerubbabel going back, governing Jerusalem, starting that work, starting to rebuild the temple. Uh, we find that the temple, uh, according to the, the scribe Ezra, is being rebuilt. But they're having trouble uh, getting back to that place where the Lord would come, where the Lord would meet with them. Uh, getting back to the way things used to be. Um, and so God often calls and uses us uh, to get us back to, uh, maybe, maybe he lays a burden on your heart for someone else. And maybe you're going to speak to someone else in a way that God is going to use you in their life to get them back to where, to where they should be. And God always does that. He brings us back to himself. His love continues to go out to us even when we continue to fail. So in this story, uh, we find where we're going to pick up is Nehemiah 150 years into the Persian Empire allowing uh, these Jews to go back to their homeland. Uh, the king is King Artaxerxes, and we have a Jew that has risen to prominence, and he is the cupbearer. We find that Nehemiah is in a position of wealth. He's in a position uh, to, to um, basically have everything that he ever wanted and everything that he ever needed. Uh, and I'm going to take advantage of this Father's Day and have a drink of coffee, because I'm a dad. That's my excuse. No, just kidding. I just need a drink. Mm, that's good stuff. Um, so we find that Nehemiah is here in his place of prominence, in his place of position. And we, we talked about this last week, how uh, if, if we're honest, and we really built the case, I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time doing it again, uh, but we really, we, we talked about how if we're Americans and we're honest, we're in a place of prominence. We're in a place of privilege. We're in a place of, of capitalism. We're in a place where, man, with good ethics and hard work, we can go out and make a living. We don't have the challenges that others have in this world. One of the best things I ever did as a 12-year-old was take a missions trip to Mexico, and then again to Africa, twice, third world countries seeing the poverty, seeing that they'll never be able to climb out of because of their environment, because of where God put them. And if we have to understand uh, that it's but for the grace of God that you were born where you were born, that you have what you have, and that we, God does not prefer or respect us above those. 
but it does put a burden on us to utilize what we have for the sake of the kingdom. To whom much is given, much is required. And so we find here that this story begins to bring in alignment a lot of similarities for where we are. Think about it. Nehemiah, sitting in this position as cupbearer, he's got it all. He's got a, a, a pocket full of cash. He's got a place of prominence. If, if he wants, he can stay in that Persian empire sipping wine for the king for the rest of his life. And he doesn't have to worry about his brothers and sisters that are in Jerusalem just scrapping for food during a famine. He doesn't have to think about them. He's good where he's at. He's got the good job. He has the place uh, that many would, would want. But he wasn't satisfied. You see, he realized what we should realize is that there was another kingdom, there was another plan, there was another purpose that was a greater purpose that he needed to be a part of than just him feeding his belly, than just him having what he needs to have. There was a greater purpose. When are we as Americans going to wake up to the fact that there's a greater purpose and a greater privilege than for us to clock in and clock out and grow our retirement accounts? When are we going to realize that God has a kingdom purpose for us to live and that this kingdom is not the only kingdom? This earthly kingdom is not what we are to live for. We are to set our affections on things above. But we talked more about that last week. So today, really, uh, as I land the plane right here in chapter one of this text, I want to show you the process that Nehemiah walked through in order to be a part of the change that needed to take place in Jerusalem. If you don't see a change needed in this nation and in our world, then you have chosen to bury your head in the sand. You're ignoring some things. Church, our families are broken down. Our faith communities are broken down. It's hard, hard you just barely hear of a marriage that lasts anymore. Parents aren't raising their children, they're ignoring their children. They're sending them into the other room with a tablet. Guilty. We got a problem. We have to wake up to the reality that the kingdom of darkness is on the move. And they are lulling us to sleep in our places of apathy and complacency. And if we are going to change, we're going to have to follow a biblical model for change so that we can actually be different. How many are interested in seeing change take place? I'm excited for you two that want to see it. Just kidding. (laughs) We need it. We need it so bad. But we need it to happen the right way. So if you're here today, you're getting part two of the message. When Nehemiah reached a point where he knew, he knew he needed to do something. He knew he needed to change. He knew that He had to be a part of it. It wasn't enough just to hear about it. It wasn't enough to to hear for us, and let's contextualize this a bit for us. It's not enough to hear other people doing the work of God. It's not enough to see others making a kingdom difference. We want to be a part. And that's what it's going to take. It's going to take churches taking personal responsibility, people within the church, and then being a part of a bigger change. So let's do it. Let's dig in here and find out what what Nehemiah's biblical response was 
and how he got started to change and rebuild. Last week we said this, that the enemy is deconstructing every human through their sin, but Jesus is reconstructing every human being through his spirit. And I want to be a part of that change. As he is reconstructing every human being in his spirit, we can play a part as the church and be his hands and feet to bring about that change in people's lives. Families and faith communities being broken, but the church is the answer and can do something about it. All right, let me give them to you. I have five super practical, I mean, this is like boots on the ground things that you can do today that will be a part of the change and bringing about a difference. How many struggle, just to be transparent here, you don't have to, but how many struggle with like what to do? Like I I see, you, you with me? It's like, I see there's a need, I see there's a spiritual need, but sometimes I just don't know where to act or what to do. Anybody struggle with that? Yeah. And I think that uh, the devil gets us in that place where we are in fear. If, if, if we do uh, or say the wrong thing or how are they going to take it, you know, and I'm talking about across the board, just turn the news on, right? Like we, we got issues, we got problems across the board. There's so many different places that the church needs to be uh, a blessing and a fix and a part of the change, but I feel like the devil often has us in a place of fear where we're afraid to take that first step. So I want to practically break it down for you. Nehemiah was in a position of prominence. He did not have to do what he did, but the Lord laid it on his heart to be a part of a change. A change that was not going to, it did affect him, and it did grow him, But initially, it was for someone else. And so he was a part of another kingdom rather than the Persian Empire that he was living in. So so that's where I hope you are today. You're, You're in your kingdom of America. You're in your place and position of prominence, regardless of how much money you have in your bank account. We're lucky to be Americans today. And then I hope you see the need that around the world, globally, Uh, And in our own nation, there are those that do not know the Lord Jesus Christ. They have not accepted the glorious gospel. And if you're sitting here today and you've never accepted the gospel of Jesus Christ, I would invite you to do that uh, right now or at the end of this service. But for the most part, I know most of you that are here, you have put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. You know that you're a part of a, a bigger kingdom than we have here on earth, right? But are you being affected by all those that have not been reached and affected by that kingdom yet? That's the big question. So here's here's what he does. Look at verse 2 and 3. Chapter 1 of Nehemiah, verse 2 and 3. That Hanani, one of the brethren, came, he and certain men of Judah, and I asked them concerning the Jews. It got personal with Nehemiah. Concerning the Jews that had escaped which left of the captivity and concerning Jerusalem. And they said unto me, the remnant that are left of the captivity, there in a province, uh, there in the province are in great affliction and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem also is broken down and the gates thereof are burned with fire. Here's the first thing I see. You ready for it? Practical points here of what Nehemiah did to bring about change. Number one, spy the landscape from a personal perspective. He said the Jewish remnant, those that survived the exile, they had real struggles. 
The walls are burned and broken. And he saw the vulnerability of those people. Listen, if we're going to bring about change, if we're going to start the process of being a part of something bigger than ourselves, and that is what we so desperately need in this nation. We're real good at consuming things upon ourselves, but we're not real good about being worried about other folks. What's the first step? We need to spy the landscape from a personal perspective. Nehemiah thought about the descendants. He thought about the Jewish people. He thought about their culture. He thought about their city and what that city represented. It's not enough. It's, listen, it's not enough for us to just start riding off whole cultures and whole groups of people on this planet that are image bearers of Christ and, and we're just not concerned about them. Oh, did you hear about this devastation over here or that problem over there? Yeah, I heard about it. He made it personal. It's, it, you have to begin to visualize yourself in a position of where those that do not have Jesus are in. What would it be like to be without our Savior? What would it be like to wake up and not have eternity to live for, not have the kingdom of God to live for? You see, it would have been really easy from position of cupbearer to say, hey, I got a job to do today. I got to clock in. I got to go taste some wine. Man, what a tough job. I got I to gotta go prepare uh, and, and ta- have a little food tasting for the king. You know, you working your nine to five and being consumed with your job and not considering anything that's happening around you for the kingdom of God is a problem. We must spy from a personal landscape. We must see the world as if it's affecting us. Number number one, spy the landscape from a personal perspective. Number two, deny yourself for a defined period of time. Look at verse four. I'm going to get super practical here with you, but I think it's necessary. And it came to pass when I heard these words that I sat down and wept and mourned certain days. What's the next word? Fasted. And prayed before the God of heaven. We find that he denied himself for a defined period of time. This is something that is lost from our society. It's lost. And there's nothing new under the sun. We find that Jesus, when he was discipling the disciples, and they were trying to cast out demons like Jesus was casting out demons. Right? And, and, and they weren't nearly as effective as he was. And what did he say to him? This kind cometh not, but by what? Prayer and fasting. You see, if you're full, then you have no appetite for spiritual things. Here we are as the Nehemiah in the story. And if you are completely consumed with your job, consumed with what you have to do, with what your needs are, and you never put yourself in a position of lack, in a position of need, then you will never see or spy the original landscape from a personal perspective. If it's always them, and I can't believe those people are, and what are they rioting about, and what is going on in our nation, and it's always they, or
toward them. Maybe you have to open your eyes a little bit and understand that you are full. You have no room for any other ideology other than your own. Maybe it's time that we fast from some concepts that we've been munching on for years and years and years and understand things from a biblical worldview. Maybe it's time we sideline how we think and talk to someone else for a little, by, a little while and find out how they think and how they see things. This principle of fasting is the idea of you going without so that you can make room for the Savior. You say, man, I just don't, I don't really feel anything. I mean, I read the Bible, I pray, but I don't feel like I get through. When was the last time you fasted? When, when was the last time you went without a meal and decided to pray through your hunger? Now listen, I made this clear in the 9 o'clock hour. Jesus, <laughs> He fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, I think, right, beginning his ministry as he was tempted of the devil. You're not Jesus, okay? Me and my father-in-law, which my, I forgot to do this last week and I almost forgot to do it again. My father-in-law and mother-in-law are here with us today. Can you raise your hand? Say hi to everybody. That's Steve and Deanie. Yeah. My wife's parents are in town. But we were talking about this. What was it? Did you see it on the news or something? A pastor tried to fast 40 days and 40 nights and then ended up dying, right? Yeah, we, we just saw it. Uh, so, listen, I, I think that you should talk to your doctor. Don't do anything like, yes, I'm going to be spiritual. And then cold turkey, stop eating for 40 days. God is not leading you to be foolish on this, right? Everyone is different and everyone has challenges, but God is leading. He, he may lead you because of your health. You might not be able to fast from food, but you can fast from media. You can fast from entertainment. I said this this morning. What about, here's just an idea, right? I have a defined period of time that we're going to take a vacation or we're going to go away for two days. We've set aside money. We're going to go away for two days and we're going to go enjoy ourselves and live in such a way that we have been saving up for and then deciding that you're going to take that money and do something else for someone else and take that time that you were to go and, and enjoy yourself and live your life and spend it in prayer and spend it walking with the Lord and take two days as a family and say, listen, we're going to just listen to God for a couple days. We're going to read our Bible and pray for every meal that we have. We're going to take a few days off work just to get in touch with God. Rather than take a day off work so that we can go have fun. Who would, have, who would ever think like that in 2020? Pastor, you're crazy. <laughs> I go to church. That's what I do. I sacrifice an hour and 15, maybe an hour and 30 if you go long a week. That's what you're getting, God. That's it. It's a part of your regularly scheduled program. Fasting is saying, here's what I was normally going to do, and I'm going to inconvenience myself on purpose so that I can make space for the one that I really need to meet and get to know. It's a lost mentality. It's a lost art. Why? Because we're unwilling to think about what's going on in God's kingdom. Could it be that the devil has us so full, so pleasantly plump in our ways that we never will see the spiritual need? 
But wouldn't it be incredible if the people of God said, I'm going to deny myself for a certain period of time. Here's what happened. Nehemiah said, hey, I've heard that there's some things going on with a group of people and, and I'm in a position that I can actually do something about it. So what did he do to prime the pump? What did he do to keep it moving? What did he do to continue in the right direction? He said, I'm going to take a period of time and I'm going to fast and I'm going to pray. I don't know how he did it. Did he just take a little sip of the king's wine? A little sip of what he would normally do? How did he fa- I don't know. I'm not exactly sure how the mechanics look, but I understand from Scripture that he mourned and he prayed and he went without. Listen, if we're going to get there, if we're going to get to that place where we're ready to bring about change, we got to go without. We've got to. And, and, and I, I want you to do it right, and I want you to do it in a way that's safe. But I want you to do it as a church. And I'm not saying like just the once a year during Lent or this. This, If we're really like serious about our church doing something, like we need to get in rhythms in our own personal relationship with God that it is something that we do often. We make space for God. Listen, if you've never tried it, if you've never gone for it, I would just encourage you this morning, pray about it. Pray about it. But I see it as a key element in Nehemiah's life for him bringing about change. Listen, hey, chapter two is incredible. Next week, I'm telling you, like, you're going to see God moving. You're going to see God uh, making waves. You're going to see God clearing paths. Nehemiah is going to leave his position for a period of time, and and he's going to actually go, and and he's going to go with the king's bidding and with the king's money. God's going to do incredible things. But before God ever moved, before God ever gave him the green light, God gave him the green light in his prayer closet. God gave him the green light with his regularly scheduled program that Nehemiah was going to start doing the things that he could do with what God had already given him. Before God blesses you with something incredible, before God opens some big old fancy door, God is going to open the door to you denying yourself. God is going to open the door with you taking what God has given you and managing it well spiritually. Why, pastor, do I not have these big opportunities? Because you're missing a daily opportunity to fast and serve the Lord. There is something spiritual. I can't explain it. But when I fast and I'm hungry and I pray during that time, the Holy Spirit speaks. Space was created. And what I would naturally want in my body to fill that void of hunger, the most uh, basic need of food and drink, The most basic need as a human being to say, I'm just hungry and I'm going to go fulfill that need. But when I create space and I say, no, I'm going to live in that hunger, I need you to fill every space in my life. And that should happen with my time. That should happen with my food. That should happen with my money. We have to create space. And I promise you, you will be in in a situation like you've never been. The Holy Spirit will bring value He'll he'll lead you to the place where you go, I literally feel more fulfillment from him than I would eating at a fine restaurant. But how many Christians, you've been saved for years and years and years, and you've never experienced that most basic feeling of God filling a need that food fills for you every day? We've got to get there. 
Nehemiah spied the landscape from a per- he made it personal. It was a personal perspective. Number two, he went without for a defined period of time. Whatever it is, if it's social media, go on a social media fast. You don't need that junk anyway. <laughs> Whatever, to pick something, anything. Number three, rely on the one that has stayed the same. I'm, I'm following a progression here in the text, okay? We see that Nehemiah, he, he was brokenhearted. He started looking into something that God was breaking his heart for. He started doing what he could. He started going without. God was moving him. Then, as things begin to change, look at verse number five. And he said, I beseech thee, O what? Lord. O Lord. God of heaven. The great and terrible God that what? Keepeth. It's probably a little small, I'm sorry. Keepeth covenant and mercy for them that love him and observe his commandments. Let me explain something to you. Nehemiah, he didn't pass the buck. He said, look, the only one who's kept this promise, God, is you. I'm not going to God blaming God. I'm going to God to rely on God. Listen, when you begin this process, and I I hope that I can inspire some of you to begin this process today. As you begin to see the world through God's eyes, as you begin to ask God, God, show me, help me, help me to change my perspective on, on these things that are going on in the world. But for the grace of God, so go I. And, and number two, you begin to fast and go without to make space for the Lord to work as things begin to change. Number three, you need to rely on the one who has stayed the same. Know that you are the one changing, not God. This is something that the devil, I think, does so well. When Christians begin to do work for God and things begin to go well, here's what they do. They think they are the ones bringing the change. I fasted. The windows of heaven are open. Incredible things are happening in my life. Watch. You did really well for point one and two. Point three, Nehemiah turns to God and says, God, as God began to break his heart, as God began to move him towards a specific purpose, he said, God, you are the covenant keeper. God, as I'm going without, what is being revealed to me is that you are the one who has kept your promise. And so as you begin to be a part of the change, don't you, don't you take credit for that change. You know that God is the one who has never changed. And that if anything good happens in this life, it's because of him. And that constant. So rely on the one who has stayed the same. He keeps his gracious covenant, Nehemiah said. Number four. This is practical stuff, isn't it? Super practical here. This is what we need. Number four, cry for every sin in the world as if it was your own. Look at verses six and seven. Let thine ear, and I'm, let's just be honest for a minute, okay? We're real good at being okay with our sin. And real, I mean, we, I can't, did you see that news headline? Did you hear what that guy did to that lady? Did you hear what that lady did to that kid? We're in a state of comparison when we're talking like that. But if we look through a Christian worldview lens, then we see every injustice as something that the gospel fixes and not something that we're above. Something that fixed us. Something that came to us. And that we were just as much a part of the sin that put Jesus on the cross. He is the change. Here's number four. four. Cry 
for every sin in the world as if it was your own. Look at verse 7. We have dealt, we, listen to Nehemiah's words. We have dealt very corruptly against thee and have not kept the statutes and, and nor the judgments which thou commandest thy servant Moses. Listen to this. Remember, I beseech thee the word that thou commandest thy servant Moses, saying, if ye transgress, I will scatter ye abroad. Think about it. He takes personal responsibility. Look at verse 6. Let thine ear now be attentive unto me. Thine eyes be open that thou mayest hear the prayer of thy servant, which I pray before thee now day and night for the children of Israel, thy servants, and confess the sins of the children of Israel, which we have sinned against thee. Both I and my father's house have sinned. Listen, in this progression, before Nehemiah goes and does incredible things, he sees the sins as his own. He sees the sins as his own. That's number four. You say, that sounds kind of simple. Um, maybe a little too simplistic, Pastor Matt. I don't think so. Why don't you just take a walk down memory lane real quick. If you're watching online, take a walk down memory lane. And think about everything you thought about over the last week. And about how flabbergasted you were when you heard the headline. When you heard about what happened. When you saw the footage of the riots. When you saw the evil that was happening in this world. Go back to that moment. And now, take responsibility for what they did on yourself. You say, that's ridiculous. I didn't do it, nor would I ever do it. Never. He became sin, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God. Let me, let me, the gospel. Jesus Christ lived without sin. And he became sin for us. So what you're saying is, my sin, my little lies, and my little injustice isn't as big. Oh my goodness. Uh, it's, it's, you say, I'm just saying what it is is horrible. Of course it's horrible. But at what point will you be brokenhearted for what is happening with a gospel lens and a gospel perspective? At what point will we as the church answer the problems of today with the gospel rather than with our bias, rather than with our upbringing, rather than with our lens of what we think morality is? Everyone is different. Everyone had a different upbringing. Everyone comes from different cultures and different backgrounds. But sin is sin. I think racism is a sin problem. I think we have a systemic sin issue. Wouldn't you agree? Wherefore is by one man sin entered into the world. And death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. Are we a part of the sin problem? Yes or no? Yeah. So therefore, why don't you just look at every sin that is going on and confess it as your own? Why don't you just pray and say, God, break my heart for the things that I haven't committed, but I have committed because I'm a part of the problem. I'm a part of humanity, and every sin that is taking place is no greater than the sin of my own. You know, when you start looking through that lens, you'll begin the process of being able to love those that Jesus loves that you don't love. 
cry for every sin in the world as if it was your own. I confess both I and my family, Nehemiah says. It's time the church take personal responsibility. And listen, before we say they need to take personal responsibility, listen. Follow, follow my logic here. I believe that the answer for every problem that we are facing as a nation globally is the gospel. The gospel is the answer. So follow me here. If it is the answer, then we need to confront these problems with the gospel, not with our anger, not with our bias, not with our prejudice, but with the gospel. And the same love that was extended to you and I is the same love that Jesus extends to every man and every woman on the face of this planet. And so I submit to you that that is the answer for the problems that we're facing. And that if you will shift your perspective as being guilty of what they have done, God will break your heart for those people. When I, I'm just... I'm just telling you, and you're like, no, you're a pastor, you, you know, you pray and God gives you special graces and, you know, you see the world through a different lens. I'm telling you, I'm seeing the world through a gospel lens. And it isn't some kind of special grace that he won't give to you too. It's your choice. You can watch what's going on in our world and get upset about it, like angry, like you're better than, or you can watch it and be brokenhearted and pray about what God will lead you to do for it. That's the only way we're going to change. That's the only way. You say, no, there's, an, there's a better way. I'm just, listen, I'm just telling you, Nehemiah was used in a mighty way. I think he typifies Christ on so many levels. My study Bible has a really cool thing in there where it shows all the things that Nehemiah did as it pertains to all the things that Christ did during his earthly ministry. There's a ton of them, a ton of parallels. And we'll talk about them as we go on through this study. But we have to start where Nehemiah started. Nehemiah took responsibilities for sins that he did not necessarily commit at that moment. I'm just asking you to do what he did biblically. Why don't we take responsibilities for the, the sins of other people? Collectively, that's, I believe, a gospel perspective. And we can look at all injustice and we can meet it with prayer and brokenhearted conviction about what God will do in our lives. Number five, this is the, the end, the launching into chapter two. You can't get to this point without going through all those other things, though. So I want to preface it by saying, before I give you this last point of what Nehemiah did, it's vitally important that you go through the whole process. Maybe not a fun process. No one, no one likes to go without food. No one likes to fast. I mean, anybody in here? Yeah, that's me, man. I just go days without eating. I love it. It's my favorite. <laughs> no. But we can't just take certain ingredients and say, yeah, that's going to be my Christian life right there. God bless. I'm going to be a Nehemiah. We're not a Nehemiah in the story unless we walk through what Nehemiah walked through. So, so remember, let's view the landscape from a personal, let's make it personal. 
Let's put yourself literally in someone else's shoes. Let's see that, that where we are in the position that God has placed us in is a really good position. And God has called you not to just be in that position, but he's called you to be in someone else's position as well. Whosoever shall lose his life for my sake shall gain his life. God is calling all of us to abandon what we are trying to do and give it to him for his kingdom purposes. God is calling you to see the world through someone else's eyes. And as you begin to see the world through someone else's eyes, let God lead you into a fast. Let God lead you into giving up things in your personal life to make space for his spirit, to make space for his plan, and rely on God. Just say, God, you are a covenant-keeping God. I break every promise. I'm guilty of it all. If I'm guilty of one point of the law, I'm guilty of it all. And that's me. And, and your gospel has answered that. It is It is redeemed every part of me that I could not do on my own. I'm relying on you. And, and then he brings you to number four, where you're crying. You're now brokenhearted. You're crying for the sin of the world. And, and it breaks your heart when you see things happen in the world that are unjust. And you want him to restore it. And then, and then, you're in a position to do something about it. You're in a position, number five, to fly the mission with great Holy Ghost precision. Look at verses 9 through 11. But if ye turn unto me, God, and keep my commandments, and do them, though were, they were uh, cast uh, out unto the uttermost part of heaven, yet will I gather them from thence and bring them unto the place that I have chosen to set my name there. Now these are thy servants and thy people whom thou hast redeemed by thy great power and by thy strong hand. O Lord, I beseech thee, let now thine ear... Be attentive to the prayer of thy servant and to the prayer of thy servants who desire to fear thy name and prosper, I pray thee, thy servant this day. And grant him mercy in the sight of this man, for I was the king's cupbearer. Finally, after Nehemiah walks through that process, he says, all right, Lord, let's do this thing. Let's go. It's time to be a part of the change. It's time to make a move. Now that I have prepared my heart, I've prepared for the purpose. I'm not stuck in the position that I've been in. I'm not letting my privilege uh, keep me from the position and the calling that God has on my life. I'm now ready to do the mission that God has sent me to do. And he prays and he says, God, lead me. Go before me. Conquer the things that are in the way so that I can do it. Listen, it's time. And if right now you're like, yeah, yeah, let's go get them. Let's change. Let's do a prayer walk. Let's, let's read our Bibles. Let's, no. Let's pray God breaks your heart first. Let's fast and prove the ground that God is going to be working first, that it's good soil, and that you're not in it for a wrong reason. See, I've, just in the four years or whatever it's been since we've started the church, I've seen them pop up and disappear. Pop up, disappear. Pop up, disappear. Man, people are ready to charge hell with a squirt gun. But they didn't do the work, and it didn't last. That's unfortunate. And I pray God moves people. I pray that God will use Bethlehem as a process to get them where they need to be. And, and I'm, listen, if I'm a part of someone's process, listen, God use me however he wants to use me. But honestly, I see often that people just don't go through the prep work. It's like anything else. A good diet, good workout plan, they don't prepare for it. God, listen, 
we got one shot, one shot at a gospel mission, 70 years on this earth, and we cannot let our lack of preparation keep us from our purpose. We can't let our apathy keep us from our purpose. Just because we don't like to go through fasts doesn't mean you shouldn't go through them. Because God is preparing you for a great work. And when you're ready, fly it with great Holy Ghost precision. Nehemiah says, let's go. He was at that point ready to use all of his God-given resources to accomplish an incredible work for God and to rebuild Jerusalem. What is God calling you to this morning? What is God laying on your heart? Are you just sitting by because you just aren't quite ready to go through the hard process for what God has for you? If that's you, listen, just let this pastor size 11 give you a little encouragement to do what you need to do. Just do what you got to do. Listen, if it's a besetting sin, confess it and forsake it. Whatever it is, if it's your anger, get rid of it. If it's your, whatever the devil is using to keep you down, let's just walk through this process together. If you need an accountability partner, call me. We'll pair you up with somebody in the church to help you walk through getting eyes to see for the Lord. And walking through a biblical fast, going without, preparing your heart for something great. Listen, I believe God is going to use Bethlehem to do a work in our community. But the only way that God is going to use Bethlehem to do a work in our community and in our little corner of the world is if God does a work in your life. Because you are the church. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Father, we love you. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your grace. Father, I pray that you would do a work this morning as the music is playing and you're sitting there in your seat. What's God called you to do? What's God called you to do? What do you need eyes to see? I pray that God breaks your heart. Let me ask you this question. Let me ask you this question. How many have something specific? How many has something specific on your heart? No one's looking. That God's laid on your heart that he wants you to do. A Jerusalem that he wants you to rebuild. Maybe it's somebody. Chances are it is. Maybe it's a, an area of ministry. How many God's told you something specific this morning? Raise your hand. What he wants you to accomplish and what he wants you to do. All right, I got one hand. Anybody else? God's laid something on my heart this morning, and I want to explore it. There's two. Anybody else? There's three. Four. Five. Six. God's moving. Seven. God's laid something on your heart. Now, don't stop there. How many of you say, Pastor Matt, I'm going to walk through this process, and I, I, I want to begin maybe a fast, and I'm going to pray that God gives me eyes to see. I want to pray God gives me a vision for what he has for me to carry out this morning. If that's you and you say, Pastor Matt, I'm making a commitment before God. Listen, not me. You're, you're making this commitment with God. No one else is looking. I'm just praying for you. God, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start the process. I'm going to go through the fast. Whatever it is, God will tell you. He'll lead you. All right, awesome. Amazing. Yes, yes. God is moving. I'm praying for you. Anyone else? I'm going to start the process. I'm praying for you. Yes. God's going to lead me to do something. Another, right? There. Yes, amen. Amen. I'm praying for all of you. If you're here this morning and you say, Pastor Matt, 
If I died, I don't even know if I'd go to heaven. I don't know Jesus as my personal Lord and Savior. What you're talking about as far as like a mission and him leading me to do something, I don't even know him. I'd like for you to pray for me that I could get to know my Lord and Savior better. Here's my hand. I don't know Jesus this morning. I want to pray for you. If that's you, if you don't know Jesus this morning, I want to pray for you. Just slip up your hand and put it down. we got a minute or two. If, if you need to come forward and pray at the altar, it's open. We'll just leave it open for a couple minutes. If you want to solidify your decision in your seat, that's fine. If you want to come forward and pray at the altar, it's open. We'll just take a couple moments. Just pray in your seat. Solidify what God's doing in your life. Father God, I pray over every person that raised their hand this morning, every person that you're leading, Father, I pray that you would give us eyes to see past our position, past our privilege, past what you have given us earthly, Father, so that we could use it and leverage it for your kingdom. Father, I pray that we will submit ourselves to a process similar to what Nehemiah went through. Work a work in our hearts, Father. Continue to pray in your seats there as we prepare for baptism.